per video I want you guys to check out. You know, if you wanted to find dirt on somebody today, it's not very hard, is it? I mean, we publish so much on the internet, on social media. There's so many things that we tweet and we post. I mean, if you wanted to find dirt on somebody, you would not have to look very hard. And, you know, they say today that if, if you go and you interview for a job, a lot of employers, they're actually looking at your social media before the interview. You know, like they'll go in there and they'll stalk you, they'll look you up, they'll see what you post. Because, I mean, you got to think about it. When you work for somebody, you represent them. And so what you post, sometimes it, it has a negative effect. And especially today, we live in such a, a sensitive culture today that a lot of times that when, when we do things that people don't like, they'll go and they'll dig up dirt on you and they'll use that dirt to... to to cancel you is kind of what we put it, right? The word we use today, it's, it's cancer culture, right? I mean, this is becoming a normal thing. I mean, there's always somebody in the news or in the media that's, that's being canceled. Currently, it's Joe Rogan, okay? Joe Rogan is being canceled. And he did a podcast that a lot of people didn't like, had to do with COVID, which is a sensitive subject right now. And so then somebody went through all of his audio. I mean, he's got years of podcasts and interview and audio. And they, they heard him, you know, using some interpersonal appropriate language and so they brought it to light and it had to do with racism which is another touchy thing and so it's just you know so now Joe Rogan is canceled and Joe Rogan has had to make an apology and anybody who's friends with Joe Rogan they have to apologize for being friends with Joe Rogan and so you know it's just it's just a whole mess but cancer cancel culture is a real thing and some of you you've experienced this right somebody has used something against you to, to, to cancel you. I, I've had people try to cancel me before. It's a very, very interesting experience, right? Um, they brought a book of a year's worth of my social media posts, and they were like, tell me what you really meant. And I was like, I was just talking about donuts. Please don't yell at me. Uh, but, you know, we go through this, and this is the thing. When, when it comes to cancel culture, this is what happens. People take a little bit of bad, and they discredit any amount of good, Right? We're going to take this little bit of bad or this little thing that maybe you meant in a certain way and maybe you, maybe you missed up and we just blow it up, right? It's a little bit of bad that we make into a really big deal. Cancel out any amount of good you've ever done. Who cares, who care, who cares all the, the good years you've had or all the good things you've said or all the good things you've done? We're going to take something. And sometimes they just even take something from 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Something you said when you were young and dumb, right? And, and they blow it up. And that's what we do. We just take that little bit of bad and, and, and we cancel out any amount of good you've ever done. And, and the interesting thing is when it, when it comes to cancel culture, it's interesting because we're hypocrites too. I mean, we're, we're a part of it, right? I mean, when it, when it comes to your opponent, right? Somebody who's on the other side of the fence. Maybe it's the other candidate or the other party or the other group or the other side of the debate. When it's your opponent, we, we maximize all the bad, right? Oh man, they did this. They said this, or there's this one thing that they're a little off on. Boom, maximize it, right? And we say they're, they're not qualified. They're not fit. They shouldn't be in leadership. We, we maximize the bad. But if it's your guy or if it's your girl, or if it's your side, or if it's your party, or if it's your candidate, 
If it's, if it's an ally on your side, what do we do? We, we minimize. We minimize all the bad. We go, well, that's just, you know, that's just, everybody does that. That's just locker room talk. Oh, that's not that big a deal. Well, that was 20 years ago. I mean, that guy's a different person. Or that girl, she's changed since then. And so the thing is, when it comes to this cancel culture, I mean, we, 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 we play our own part in it. Because we do it ourselves. If it's our opponent, we maximize what they did. But if it's, if it's our friend or if it's our family member or if it's somebody on our side, well, we minimize it. And then when it comes to our own stuff, when we're the ones who are caught in a breach of integrity, what do we do? Well, we justify it. Well, I had to lie. Well, I, I, I had to bend the truth. Well, I had, to, I had to withhold information. If I didn't withhold the information, do you know what would have happened? I mean, I, I had to, 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 to fudge that up a little bit and, you know, kind of mix it up. And I had to cheat a little bit. I had to cut some corners. See, if I didn't, this is what would have happened. So really, I'm doing everybody a favor. Really, it's not that bad of a thing. It's an, it's an okay thing. I mean, when it comes to our own breaches of integrity, we justify it. Or we, we put the blame on somebody else. But, but, but very, very, very rarely do we extend that same gift or grace to other people. I mean, when it comes to other people, what do we do? We don't justify, we, we judge. I mean, if somebody else does something wrong, if somebody else is, is, is caught in a breach of integrity, I mean, whew, we judge. We hold them to the fire. We hold them accountable. And that's the thing that's difficult about integrity. And that's what we've been talking about. And if you're just joining us or if you're just catching up or if you're listening online and, and you, you're just joining us in the middle of the series, kind of the tail end of it, we've been talking about integrity. And integrity, integrity is doing the right thing because it's the right thing, even if it costs you. And integrity, the thing about integrity is integrity, it's, it's personal, but it's never private. The thing we all have to realize is your decisions are are, are, are very personal, but they're never private. I mean, every time there is some sort of domino effect that affects other people's lives. And the thing is, is we, we've been talking about structural integrity, right? Structural integrity is when the integrity of one breaks, that the stress is transferred to, to those around it. And that's what happens to our families. That's what happened to our jobs. That's what happens um, on, the, on the teams that we're on. Is that if, if there's a breach of integrity, a failure of integrity in our lives, the, the, the stress is transferred to other people around us. And we, we've seen this. Again, this is not even a religious thing yet. This is just a a thing thing. And, and so we've been talking about how, how, do we, how can we be people of integrity? Because integrity is important to every single one of us. We, we know that because there's always this ought to inside of you that you hold others accountable to. And the thing is, is if you're going to hold others accountable to be people of integrity, then you have to be a person of integrity yourself. And really, we all know the ought to. It's very rarely gray or as gray as we think because we just think, well, if it was happening to me, how, what would I want done? We, we, we know, we know, our conscience tells us there's that ought to inside of you that, that holds sway over you, but, but rarely do we do the right thing. Why? And, and the reason goes to, it's a key verse in Proverbs, a, a piece of wisdom literature that Solomon wrote. He said this, he said, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Here, here's the thing. What he's trying to say is that crooked people or people who are 
looking down in front of them, there's always something in front of you that you can grab, right? There's always something in front of you that you could, that you could take and you could have right now. And people who have failures of integrity, that's usually what happens. They just they take what they can have now or they take the shortcut because usually the fastest way there is not the most moral or most you know, thing of integrity. But the thing is, is that people of integrity are upright. They look ahead. They look at when my life is nothing more than a story to tell, what story do I want told? And so they don't take what they can have immediately. They don't take what they can have right in front of them. They look ahead. And they decide, what, what do I want my story to be? What, what do I want? Maybe I can't have it now, but if I, if I look ahead and I want what I really, really want in life, I have to be a person of integrity. I have to look ahead and I have, to, I have to make difficult decisions. And sometimes those decisions are going to cost me. And so two weeks ago when I was with you last, we, we talked about Daniel, right? And many of you, you may know Daniel, uh, at least the, the tail end of his story. But when Daniel was a teenager, um, the, the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar, they, they invaded his, his land. It was southern Israel, uh, Ju- Judea. And they, they, they came into Jerusalem, and, and they actually took Daniel. He was about 15, 17 years old. They invaded the land. And, and what Nebuchadnezzar would do is he would come in, he would take over an area, and then he would, he would take the kings, and he had a king collection. But also, too, he, he he would take he would take the young boys, the the the, the brightest, the strongest, the best looking. He would take them and he would kind of hold them hostage. Like he would he would send you know a message back to the homeland. Hey, don't forget we have your sons. And so they would take those sons, but they didn't keep them prisoners. What they would do is they would take their sons. And they would train them up. They'd put them in the palace. They'd feed them. They'd train them. They'd educate them. And then three years later, they would actually be interviewed and become part of the king's council. So he would actually kind of assimilate them. So, I mean, Babylon, I mean, it, I mean, it looked like this, this awesome uh, different cultures, different languages, just a hodgepodge of different people from different areas that they invaded. And so Daniel was one of those. And, and Daniel and some of his friends were taken in and Honestly, it was a really good opportunity. I mean, they had this awesome opportunity in front of them to, I mean, they weren't going to be put into the mines or be slaves or be imprisoned or anything like that. They had this awesome opportunity to actually have a career. All you had to do was eat the king's food and wine, and all you had to do was accept your new Babylonian name, and, and that was it. I mean, the only bad thing was you didn't get to see your parents anymore. So, I mean, it was kind of, a, kind of an interesting deal there, right? But we talked about how Daniel, it says in Daniel 1.8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel, he pre-decided, he made up his mind ahead of time, not to defile himself. And what that means is, is he chose ahead of time that he was not going to eat the king's food or wine. And we talked about why this was such a big deal, right? It's because the same way whenever, you know, sometimes before we eat, we thank God for this food, right? Thank you, God, for this food. If, bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. Well, they did the same thing with the king's food, except for they worshiped the, the Babylonian god, Marduk. And so what they did is, is they gave thanks to Marduk. And so if Daniel was going to partake in the, the food and the wine uh, of King Nebuchadnezzar, then, then he was going to have to basically accept that this came from Marduk. And any blessings that came from it came from Marduk. And he said, look, I, I can't do that. That would be a breach of integrity. I can't do that. 
And so he decided he wasn't going to do that. And he told them up front, he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to partake in this. I can't do this. But, but God blessed him anyways. God blessed him and took care of him. And, and, and says this uh, a little bit later on in Daniel's story. It says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel was such a good person. He, had, he was such a, a person of integrity. He, he stood up and, and was faithful to God. He did the right thing. He did not partake in the king's food or wine, but yet he was blessed anyway. God protected him. God, God, God blessed him. And, and Daniel ends up being in government for 55 years. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar dies, the next king comes, that king dies, then the next king comes, and then that king dies. And then what happens is the Persians come and invade the Babylonians. So now the Persians are in charge. And King Darius is the new king on the block, and he's the top dog. And so they come in, and they basically take all the leaders, again, from the Babylonians, uh, you know, and assimilate them into their system. And then they, they find Daniel, and, and Daniel is just terrific. Everybody loves Daniel. Once again, and King Darius, he decides, well, here's what I'm going to do. I, I don't really like to do this king stuff. I would really like to just go and, you know, enjoy my vacation and let other people do all the, 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 the work that I don't want to do. So he decides, I, I'm going to set up 120 governors to, to, to rule all of, these, all of these countries and all of these different areas. And, and those 120 governors, I'm going to set three officials over them. And guess who is one of those three? Daniel. Daniel ends up being in charge. And it says this, it says, At this the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. Nobody wanted Daniel to be in charge. You know why? Because Daniel was not one of them. I mean, think about how crazy it is. I mean, the, the person who has had the most power, who is most in charge of the Persian Empire, was not even a Persian, not even a Babylonian. He was a little kid who had been taken at a young age, at 15 years old, and now he's 70 years old, 55 years in government. Now he's 70 years old, and this, this stranger, this, 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 this outsider, is going to be put in charge of the Persian Empire and, and be bossing everybody around? No, uh not having that. So other people thought that they deserved it better, and they're like, well, we're going to try to find some kind of grounds. I mean, come on, 55 years in government, he's had to do something wrong. There's got to be something we can find that we can cancel him with. But this is what it says, but, but they were unable to do so. I couldn't find anything on him. They could find no corruption because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Now, think about that, 55 years in government. They couldn't find anything on him. And we talked about two weeks ago why that was. It's because Daniel was a person of integrity. But the reason Daniel was a person of integrity is because he pre-decided. He made up his mind ahead of time that he was going to be a person of integrity. That he was not going to sacrifice his integrity for his safety, for what he could have now, for anything like that. He was up front, a person of integrity and faithful to God. And it paid off. 55 years later, he's 70 years old. He's spent all this time in government. They can't find anything on the guy. So these men get together and they, they decide this. He said, well, we're never going to find 
any basis for charges against this man because, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. There was one thing that everybody knew, and it was amazing that he was still safe. It was amazing that nothing bad had happened to him before. Everybody knew. It was public. It was known. Daniel never hid it. Daniel was a man of God. Daniel was faithful to his God, and they said, well, that's how we can get him. That is exactly how we can cancel him. We'll put him against his God. So this is what it says next. It says, so they go to the king and they go, oh, King Darius, King Darius, you're the best. King Darius, you're the best. And it says, we have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, they should be thrown into the lion's den. So basically, they come to King Darius, and they start buttering him up. And they're like, King Darius, King Darius, you're so great, you're so great. Hey, you know what we should do? We should do 30 days of King Darius. Let's have 30 days of King Darius. Let's have some floats. Let's have some parades. Let's have a ball. And let's everybody worship you. And tell you what, if anybody prays to any other god but you, if anybody you know, does anything, we'll, we'll just throw them in the lion's den. How's that sound? How about that? And it goes on, and, and this is a trap. And they say, now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So here's what they do. They, they, they come to Darius and they say, we all have agreed. But we, we know that's not true because who, who's not there? Daniel. Daniel's not there. This is one of those situations at work, you know, where somebody comes to you, if you've ever been a manager in charge, and they go, look, Everybody agrees. We've all been talking, and everybody agrees. This is what we should do. But is it ever everybody? No. It very rarely is everybody, right? It's just it's people use that to manipulate. And so they do that to, to King Darius. They manipulate King Darius, and they come to him, and they go, everybody agrees. No, Daniel did not agree to this. Daniel is not there. But, I mean, they, they appealed to his pride and his arrogance. And of course, you know, Darius is like, oh, 30 days of Darius. I, I, I kind of like that idea. All right, that's kind of cool. And they're like, well, go ahead and put it in writing because here's the deal. If it was put into writing, no one could do anything about it. I mean, King Darius himself could not even repeal the law. It was set in stone. There's nobody, anything could do about it. And these, these governors and these people who are, you know, conniving in the background, they knew this. So they're like, well, go ahead, go ahead, put it in writing. And then nothing can be done because they knew when Darius figures out what they're actually up to, he's going to try to shut it down because they knew King Darius loved Daniel. Every, everybody loved Daniel, but these guys wanted him dead. So King Darius, he falls for it and he puts the decree in writing. So he puts it into writing, and the, these, these governors and these satraps, they're, they wait. They wait because they knew. They knew Daniel's routine. Everybody knew Daniel's routine. It was a public thing. He'd done it for, for 55 years. Everybody knew Daniel was going to slip up. So they sent spies out, or they went themselves, and they just waited. They waited for Daniel to do what Daniel does. And so it tells us in Daniel, it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room with a window opened, and he, let me ask you, what would you do? If you were in this situation, what would you do next? See, here's the interesting question that this brings up. What do you do, what do you do when it's certain doing the right thing will cost you? I mean, let's be honest. When doing the right thing rewards you, it's easy. It's a layup, right? 
It's simple. I mean, of course you're going to do the right thing. It's going to reward you. But what do you do when doing the right thing is most certainly going to cost you? I mean, what do you do when, when, when the police officer pulls you over and they go, do you know you were speeding? And you know that you were speeding. You know that you just totally ignored the law. What, what, what do you do? Because if you tell the officer, yeah, I know, I, I was going 20 over, and the officer's like, really, I clocked you at 12. Well, when I saw you, officer, I slammed on the brakes really, really hard. But yeah, no, I was definitely going 20 over, officer, for sure. I mean, you know that's going to cost you. What do you do? Hey, what do you do when you know being honest with your family is going to cost you? Like, you know, you know that if you're honest with your family, if you don't keep it a secret or if you don't lie or if you don't just kind of, you know, withhold things, but if you're honest with your family, like, they're going to be upset with you or they're going to shun you or they're going to be mad at you or you're not going to get invited to Christmas next year. What do you do when doing the right thing is going to cost you? What, what do you do when you know you've got to go to your boss? You know you did something wrong. You know there was a breach of integrity. And you know you did the wrong thing. And you're going to go to your boss and you're going to tell your boss. And you may get fired. You may get fired. Or you may get reprimanded. Or this might be your third strike. What do you do? What do you do when it's certain that doing the right thing is definitely going to cost you? The answer is this. The answer is it depends on what's most important to you. It really depends on what is most important to you. And here's the thing. In those moments, in those moments where it costs you, you discover if you are a person of integrity or not. Because see, here's the thing. You can say you're a person of integrity. You can say you're a good person. You can say you're a moral person. But of course you always are when it's easy when it's something that, you know, it benefits you, but when it costs you, when you have to choose to do the right thing and you know it's going to cost you, that's when you really find out if you're a person of integrity or not. And here's the thing, for you, for you Christians, for anybody who claims to, to follow Jesus, and those moments for you, you discover if your faith is genuine or not. Because you, you show where your faith really is. If you think that God's in control, or if you're in control. If you're in control and you've, you've got to do certain things to make certain outcomes come true. So the thing is, is in those moments, the, the real you is revealed. And, and let, me, let, me, let me just tell you, that we're just going to go off on a, a little side exit and then we're going to come back. Here's the thing, because we see this all the time in life. We see this all the time like with celebrities and people and stuff. When somebody is caught in a breach of integrity... We all say the same thing. That's not me. That's not who I really am. I'm a good person. Have you heard that before? Have you said that before yourself? I, I, that, that's not who I really am. I, that's, I, I'm a good person. But, but here's the thing. If that's what you say, or if you hear somebody say that, you're deceiving yourself. And don't be deceived. Be, because the thing is, is... Everybody's a good person until something's on the line. And then we see who the, who the real you really is. And, and, and here's the thing. If, 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 you're, if you're related to somebody, if you're dating somebody or something, and you find somebody who, who, who kind of bends the truth, or they're willing to lie or cheat to somebody else, and they look at you and they go, I would never do that to you. Don't be deceived. Because if they do it to somebody else, there's a real high probability that they're going to one day do it to you too. 
See, those moments, that's where the real you comes to light. Because you had a decision to make. And it was either going to cost you or, or you were going to breach your integrity. And if you see somebody who breaches their integrity, if they can breach their integrity once, there's nothing stopping them. It's going to be so much easier to breach their integrity a second time. If they lie to you once, oh, buddy, look out. It's going to be so much easier if they lie to you again. If they lied to somebody else, there's a high probability that one day, if it costs them, they're going to lie to you. See, those moments is where the real you comes to light. And, and David, Daniel, Daniel knew this. So what did Daniel choose to do? Well, he had already pre-decided what he was going to do, and so he just kept doing what he did. So Daniel, it says he, three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had always done. See, you know what I think Daniel did? I mean, I'm not saying it was an easy decision for Daniel, but I think what Daniel did is he learned about the decree. He said, all right, if I go pray, if I go do what I do every day, there's, I'm going to get thrown in the lion's den, period. That's all he knew. That was the only thing that was guaranteed to him. But I think when Daniel looked at that, looked at this situation, he said, huh, here's the question I need to ask myself. Who's really in control here? See, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control. Nebuchadnezzar, he thought he had his hooks in me. He thought he could tell me what to do. And it turned out Nebuchadnezzar was not in control. God was in control. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's dead. And then the last king, he did some things, and he thought he was in control, and he thought he was the top boss, but I continued to be a person of integrity and put my faith in God. And that guy died too. And then the next guy died. And now Darius, Darius thinks he's the boss. Darius thinks he's in control. Darius thinks he gets the final word. Who's really in control here? And see, and that's the thing you have to ask yourself when you get put in these situations. Who's really in control here? Is it really my boss? Is it really the opposing side? Is it really the people who have put me on trial and are trying to see a certain outcome? Is it really the person who's trying to cancel me, who's trying to take me out of this position? Are they the ones that are really in control here? Or is God in control? And for Daniel, he said, my, my God is in control. So why, why would I stop now? For 55 years... I put my faith in God, and I've been a person of integrity, and I've trusted God, and God has always come through for me. So why would I change up my routine now? Why would I breach my integrity now? And so he, he chose. He chose to continue to pray. And then you know how the story goes. These men went as a group, found Daniel praying and, and asking God for help. And so what did they do? Oh, man, they ran to the king immediately. They're like, yes, we got him. So they run to the king, and so they went and they spoke to him. They said, did you, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any other god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? Such a, just a, such a shady thing to do. Hey, hey, just like, uh, we're not sure. Didn't you, didn't you do that? Didn't you sign that decree? Didn't you? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, Darius, he, he knew the answer. And he said, yeah, 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 I did. And then so they said to the king, well, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. See, there's a, there's a lot of racism here. They don't like that Daniel is not one of them. They're like Daniel, that exile, that guy who should not be in charge. That exile from Judah, he pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. And he's, he's still praying three times a day. He's doing it. 
And so next, the, the king gave the order, and they, they brought Daniel, and, and they had to do what they had to do. They, they, they threw him in the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, I'm, I mean, this, this broke Darius's heart. And so as he's, they're lowering him into this lion's pit, I mean, you imagine Darius has seen this play out so many times. He knows exactly what's going to happen. They've put people in here before. Darius, he says, Daniel, no, go back. i got to finish that one. Uh, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you today. Now, here's the thing, okay? I want, I want you to take your, 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 your churchy brains off for a minute, okay? Because everybody's heard this story, okay? If you grew up in church, you've heard this story. This is like the thousandth time. Like, this is the most boring sermon you've ever listened to, okay? Even if you didn't grow up in church, you're like, Daniel in the lion's den. Who doesn't know the story of Daniel in the lion's den? This is stupid, right? I mean, I even just preached on this like last August, okay? So everybody knows this story. I get it. We all know how it ends. But just for a minute, okay? Let's, let's change the Bible for a second, okay? Let's play a game, all right? Let, let's play a game real quick. And let's say we don't know what happens next, okay? Or let's say that Daniel dies. Let's just change it up for once, okay? Let's just change it up. And then let's say the next verse says this, and Daniel was never seen again, okay? All right, so we've just rewritten the Bible, and we've changed it. Daniel, he, he had this temptation from him. He had to choose whether to be a person of integrity and stay faithful to God or be faithful to Darius. He chose to, chose to be a person of integrity and to be faithful to God. And so he got caught. He got thrown in the lion's den and the lions just devoured him up. Okay. And Daniel is now dead. All right. Let's just stop there for a minute. Okay. Just picture that in your head. Daniel's dead. Didn't work out. Now let's say that's the narrative. Let me ask you a question. Did Daniel win or lose? Daniel win or lose? He's dead. Lions gobbled him up. Okay? They loved it. It was awesome. I know that's a great tight lion noise. Okay? They gobbled him up and he's dead. Did Daniel win or lose? He's dead. Did he win or lose? He won. He won. Lose. No one wants to say lost, right? You're all scared. Daniel won. Let's say the story ended there. Let's say we don't know what happened. Let's say, you know, some of you guys think the Bible's made up. Okay, well, let's pretend like the Bible's made up. Okay, so let's say Daniel got thrown in the lion's den, and no one protected him, and he was dead the next day. Darius, he ran down there. He looked inside and goes, yep, that's what happens when you get thrown into a den with lions. You die, and, and Daniel's dead, and that's the end of Daniel's story. Let's say it ends there. Is it a happy story or is it a sad story? It's a happy story. It's a win. Daniel won. Do you know why? Because Daniel's primary concern was doing the right thing and being faithful to his God. And that's what he did. Daniel knew he was probably going to die. Daniel knew. He didn't think God was going to save him. He was only concerned with doing the right thing. If he was concerned with anything else, if he was concerned with saving his life, if that was his primary concern, he would have done something else. He would have manipulated the situation. He would have prayed in secret. He would have not prayed out in the open for everybody to see him. He would have changed up his routine a little bit. But that's not what he did. Why? Because his primary concern was doing the right thing, was being a person of integrity, and most of all, being faithful to his God. 
And here's the thing. The thing is this. The question of these stories, when these stories come up, when we read these like Old Testament stories especially, right? I get some of these Old Testament stories that sometimes they seem a little, you know, uh, far-fetched, a little fantasy, because a lot of times they, they end up, you know, winning in the end. Not always. If you look real closely, there's a lot of people who did not get what they wanted in the end that, that died and were not protected by God. But sometimes we look at this and we're like, this is kind of fairy tale to me. But here's the thing, you're, you're missing the point. The point of these stories is not about whether God protects them or doesn't protect them, or if they live or if they die. The thing is, 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 is a model, is the person in the story a model of who you want to be like or a model of who you don't want to end up like? And here's the thing. Your story is much the same. Is that at the end of your life, when your story is nothing more than a story to tell, your story, it's either going to be a model of what everyone wants to be like or it's going to be a model people are going to use to tell people don't end up like them. One day your family's going to talk about you. One day your kids or your church or your community, they're going to tell your story, your work. They're going to tell stories about you. And you are either going to be one of two things, a model of who everybody should be like or a model of who you don't want to end up like. That's the point of these stories. And you have to understand, there is no guarantee for Daniel. There is no guarantee for Daniel. But he predecided. No matter what happens to me, I want to be a model of what others want to be like. I want to be faithful to God. I want to do the right thing. I've lived my life without a single breach of integrity, and I'm not going to stop now. So I don't know what's going to happen next. There are no guarantees, but I'm going to choose to be a person of integrity, even if it costs me. Because I want to be a model of what other people want to be like. And here's the thing. You need to know this. There was no guarantee for Daniel. And here's the thing. There is no guarantee for you. Hear me out, okay? And I can say this because I'm a pastor, okay? My credentials match everybody else's, all right? Minus the master's, okay? But here's the thing. Some of you, you walked away from faith or you have had no interest interest in church because there was some pastor on a TV or at a church who told you that all you need to do is put your faith in Jesus and everything will be okay. All you need to do is trust God and everything will be all right. And all you, if you do A, B, and C, and if you pray this much, and if you go to church, and if you tithe, God will bless you, God will give you, and, and, and everything will be okay and it will be sunshine and rainbows. And I can say this, you can't, okay? Let me tell you, that was some bull crap, Okay? That was a lie. And they shouldn't have told you that. Because that's a lie. Because there's no guarantee from God that everything is going to work out. There's not. Let's be honest. And you know that. You've prayed for somebody who's been on their deathbed and they've still died. You've prayed that things would work out and things haven't worked out. You know that. And for some of you, that's what's in your crawl, and that's why you walked away from faith. Because somebody told you if you did A, B, and C, everything was going to be all right. And it didn't end up all right, and you felt lied to, and you felt like you can't trust God. And I'm just trying to tell you, you can come back and you can begin your faith journey now, because I'm going to be real and honest with you and tell you that ain't true. And for Daniel, he had no idea. He had no guarantee from God. He had no promises from God that things were going to end up all right right. 
The point of these stories isn't that people end all right. The point of the story is if the person is faithful or unfaithful. That's the point of the story. The point of the story is if at the end they're a model of who everyone wants to be like or a model of who you don't want to end up like. Because sometimes, we know this is true, sometimes people die. Sometimes people lose. And let's be honest, sometimes being a person of integrity is going to cost you. That's the truth. And sometimes, Christians, sometimes being faithful to God is going to cost you too. Sometimes it's going to cost us. Sometimes it's going to cost us our comfort. Sometimes it's going to cost us our security. Shoot, sometimes it's going to cost us our lives. That's the truth. So here's the question that I want you to wrestle with today. The question I want you to to wrestle with is, is, what's the win? What's the win? Now, while you're thinking about that, here's the thing I want to tell you. For Daniel, the win was being a person of integrity. For Daniel, the win was being faithful to God. That was the win. That was his primary concern. If he lost his life, so be it. If somehow God saved him, I don't even think he saw it coming. I don't don't think he expected it at all. I think it was a complete shock. When he got down to lion's den, he probably was like, all right, here it comes. Let it go fast. And he looked around and nothing happened. That's what he expected because the win for him, it was already done. The story was already written. You could have put a period on it right there. Daniel won because he was a person of integrity. And here's here's what I want you to hear. When you're stuck in that situation, there's a lot of things that can happen to you. There's a lot of things people can put you through. But there's one thing they cannot take from you. You cannot lose what you do. You cannot lose what you do. They can put you on trial. They can run you through the fire. They can throw accusations at you. They can make things up. But at the end of the day, you can't lose what you do. And let me tell you something. If you remain a person of integrity, if you remain a person of, of honesty, trustworthy, respect, and love, they can do whatever they want. They can take your job. They can cancel you. They can crucify you. They can kill you. They can do whatever they want. They cannot take your story away from you. They cannot change the narrative of what you do. And so when you're in those situations, how you respond is so very important because you will never lose what you do. And here's the thing. If you're a person of integrity, if you're a person of integrity, it won't guarantee your security, but it will guarantee your legacy. It will guarantee the story that is told about you. That at the end of your life, when your life is nothing more than a story to tell, it will lock in your legacy. And the story that people tell, will tell, it will be a model, it will be an example of who to be like. Not a model of who not to be like. And the thing is, is if we sacrifice our integrity, if we sacrifice our integrity, integrity at the end, Everything we gain from sacrificing our integrity can or will be lost. You sacrifice your integrity, yeah, your family will be happy. You sacrifice your integrity, yeah, you'll get to keep your job or you'll get that promotion. You sacrifice your integrity, yeah, you'll be safe for a while. 
But I want to promise you something. It will not last. And if you breach your integrity once to keep security, you will have to breach your integrity again. And then it will change you because you will be living a lie. You will have to play this game of figuring out, okay, can I, am I supposed to be honest today or am I supposed to lie? Am I supposed to speak or am I supposed to keep quiet? Am I supposed to take shortcuts or am I supposed to do hard work? See, anything you gain from sacrificing your integrity, you'll lose. And sometimes that's what the opposing side just wants. They want you to sacrifice your integrity to show that you're no better than them. To show that you're just like them. But you are. You are different. And you are better. Because you've chosen to be a person of integrity. So, going back to the question. What's the win? What is the win for you? And for people who aren't Christians, or if you got drug here today, or somebody sent you this podcast and said, you got, you got to listen to this, and, but you have no relationship with God, let me just ask you, what, what, what's the win for you in your life? When these decisions come up, what's the win for you? But for Christians, for those of you who claim to put your faith in God, to trust God, to love God, the question that you really need to answer is, do you trust God with the outcome? Is God in control or are they in control? Are you securing your future or is God securing your future? Do you trust God? Because this is the time that's going to show whether you truly trust God or not. I'm going to invite the band to come back up and we're going to sing a, a new song. It's barely been out. It's very barely been out. And, and while they're getting ready, I'm going to tell you a little story. You know, uh, when we, uh, we, we were mobile for a long time. We were in Bonfils Auditorium just down the road. And today's our four-year anniversary of opening in here. We've been in this building now for four years. Can you imagine that? It didn't feel like four years, but it's been four years. And so we bought this building four years ago. And let me tell you a little bit about how that came about. We were... Um, we were partnered with another church in O'Fallon called New Life Church. It's a church that my family planted. My dad was the pastor of. And some of you attended there. I grew up in that church through my teen years. And we were one church in two locations. And then my dad left. He took a church in Kansas. And almost immediately, that church in O'Fallon said, we don't want to be with you anymore. We want you to go be your own church, and we want us to be our own church. And it was really hard for me. It, it took me by surprise, and it was done with a lot of secrets and a lot of meetings I wasn't invited to, and it just wasn't done very Christ-like, and it, it really, really, really bothered me. It really hurt me. It sent me into counseling for the first time. I mean, it was a, it was a traumatic experience for me and for my family, and I had so many options in front of me, but one thing that my dad taught me is to always do the right thing, even if it costs you. And so the thing, I didn't know what to do. I mean, there, there were questions of whether we would close the church, whether we were done, if I was gonna get paid anymore. There were so many scenarios that were, that were up for grabs. And I talked to my dad, my dad's like, what are you gonna do? And I told him, I don't know. 
But the one thing I'm going to make sure I do is that I keep my integrity intact. Throughout all of this, I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be a person of character. I want to, I want to represent my church well. And we went through this whole long process, all this different stuff, man. And it came to our last meeting. It's the last time I was ever in that church building. I can't step foot back in it again. It's the last time I was there, in there, and I was supposed to walk out with a big check in my hand. And it was kind of like a bless you, see you later check. And I, I was going, and there was some talk about how they may not give us that check or how maybe we didn't deserve it. And there was a lot on the line, man, and I was trusting a lot of people to do the right thing. But I just maintained my integrity, maintained my integrity, and maintained my integrity. And went in that room, had the meeting, and walked out with a check in my hand. And I got in my car, and I swear to you, turned the car on, and the Rolling Stones song came on. You can't, you don't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you get what you need. And I bawled. I just started crying. Because I knew that God was telling me, I know this is not what you wanted to happen. I know this is not a happy ending. I know that this is loss, this is grief, this is tough, this is, this is going to scar your heart. But I'm going to make sure you have what you need. And I had no idea that what I had just done is walked out with a check that was going to be enough for our down payment for this building and enough money to rehab the building. I had no clue what that check was, what that money meant. But then all these things started to happen and these things started to line up and God gave us a home very shortly after that. And he gave us everything we needed to be able to come in here and to make this a, a hub for our mission and for our vision for our church. God lined it all up for us. And now here we are four years later. And I'm still seeing a counselor talking about that day. I'm still trying to fix the relationships that were broken through that whole thing. And it didn't end up what I, how I wanted. I got thrown in the lion's den and I felt like I got eaten up. But God was in control. God gave us this. God put this in line for you to be here and for me to be here. And he gave it to us at the, the perfect timing, at a time before a pandemic and a time where we could set up shop and, and feed our community and love people and, and provide experiences for people that would introduce them to God and, and change their life. See, here's the thing. When scripture tells us that what the devil means to destroy us, God can use for good. What the devil throws our way and how he manipulates and tempts people, it's all there to cancel us and to destroy us and to tempt us to breach our integrity. But when we remain people of integrity, God always gets the last word. And it may not be in this life. I'm not telling you that everything's always going to work out. 
But even if it doesn't work out in this life, I'm sure that Daniel believed that when he opened his eyes, he would be in front of his Savior, and his Savior would tell him, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's what Daniel had at the forefront of his mind, is not about what would happen here on this earth, but what would happen when he met his Creator. And for you, that's what I want at the forefront of your mind. Not to be crooked and look at now. Not to look down and just look at what you can have now. But to be upright and to look at the end of your life when your life is nothing more than a story to tell. And to look at your life forward to know in the future that you're going to one day be face to face with your creator. And there's going to be a story to tell there. And are they going to use you as an example of who you want to be like? Or are they going to use you as an example of like, look, don't end up like that. I want you to all be people that other people model their life after. I want your kids to look up to you and go, I want to be like my mom. I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my grandpa. I want to be like my neighbor. I want to be like that drummer on stage. I want to be like them. I want to be like my teacher in the back. Because, man, they lived this awesome life. And, yeah, they went through bumps and turns and twists and all kinds of bad stuff. But through it all, they were always people of integrity. That's a legacy worth living. It's a life worth living. That's what I want for you. And so this morning we're going to sing this new song. It's called Deliverer. And I want it to just be a final act of worship today as we leave. Of just recognizing, of claiming that God is in control. Would you stand with me this morning?